Good morning. If you'll open your Bibles with me and, and turn, not to Kings, but to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, with everything going on in our world and our culture right now, I've, I've had a lot of people just say, Rusty, we'd like to hear from the, the church. We'd like to hear the church speak on unity, division, because the world and what you get is, is this is how you should handle it. This is what it should look like. And what does the gospel say? What does the scriptures, how do they instruct you during these difficult times? And so, you know, usually we take one text and we kind of work our way through it. We're going to do something different this morning. We're going to look at a couple different texts and see what the Bible, what the scriptures say about unity within the bounds of the church. So, um, and, you know, it's kind of a sad day for me because I, when I was preaching earlier, for the first time I realized I can't read my sermon. And so I got to take my glasses off, which means I can't see you. So you're just blurry, you know, and, um, but that, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Blame Joe Sugg. Okay. 1 Corinthians 1.10. The cross is the great equalizer for humanity. Its message to, to man, it's, it's actually one of equality, isn't it? Right? Equally sinful. Equally needy. Equally unrighteous. Equally dead spiritually before God. Yet by faith in Christ and the rebirth of the Holy Spirit, we're equally loved. Equally righteous. Equally gifted of the Spirit, or filled with the Spirit is what I mean. So by faith, all Christians are, we're one in Christ. We, there's a unity. Now, that's very clear all through the Scripture. Jesus even prays it in John 17 before he goes to the cross. But despite this uniting method, or message, the church has not practiced this very well over the years. So Paul hears here in 1 Corinthians from Chloe that there is great infighting amongst the church, that they were divided because some were wealthy and some were not. Some were of noble birth and most were of common birth. Some were Greek and some were Jew, right? And not just that, but there seemed to be a personality cult going on. Some followed Paul, some Apollos, some Peter. And Paul starts, <laughs> he starts his letter here in 1 Corinthians by appealing. He says, I appeal to you, I beseech you, by the name of Jesus Christ. So if you're in Christ and you bear his name, be unified, no divisions. And then he goes on and says, regard no one according to the flesh. Now, here we are today with all our cultural struggles, where people are more divided in our country than ever. Divided by skin color, divided by wealth, education, political views. And Paul says to us, look, I appeal to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there needs to be no divisions. And so the question then is, okay, how do I do that? 
Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. And we're just going to read one verse. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, with, that all of you agree and there be no divisions amongst you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Please pray with me once more. Father, I, we worship you. From the very beginning, after the fall, man's divided. We, we divide according to physical traits, education, intelligence, wealth, what we have in the bank. God, and I just praise you that the Messiah's plan was not just to unite us to you, but to unite man one to one. Father, and, and so that the church would be a shining light on a hill of what the kingdom of God is to look like and will eternally look like. Lord, and I pray right now that your spirit would work powerfully in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we might be unified as a church and as believers here in Dothan, Alabama, and the church in America would be unified with one message in Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thomas Fuller, in his history of the worthies of England, tells the story of a great flood. And there was a flood that swept through a little town called Somershire. And as it did, the, the people there knows, noticed a very unusual occurrence that the water rose and all of the animals began to look for dry land and began to look for safety. And so they all congregated in this one small area so that you had dogs, you had cats, you had rats. Uh, probably had livestock, chickens, all there. And the amazing thing was the dogs were not trying to eat the rabbits. And the cats were not chasing rats. That there was no fighting, no killing. That they were there with one purpose. That they'd suddenly come out of all their normal customs and divisions and there was a oneness there to not drown. <laughs> Now, this is a bit like the church, that faith joins us all to Christ, doesn't it? And then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, love then joins us to each other. We're melted together. And it is then the common headship of Christ we have. Uh, we have a common spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you, is in me. Same spirit. And this produces an amazing communion and union and oneness and fellowship in God's people. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians, his appeal then is unity in mind and unity in thought, which then expresses itself in display in how the church functions. And then it testifies that the gospel is true. Now, let me say a few more words about that. I, I've worked in quite a few churches, several overseas, several in America, so I'm not just speaking towards our context in the Deep South. Church as a whole, that when you peel back the curtain of the church, what you often find are deep divisions, old resentments, old anger and wounds, separation and prejudice based upon skin color, ethnicities, political leanings separate us. Wealth, education, divide us. 
divisions and prejudices that have not been sanctified brought under the authority of Jesus. And so Paul then closes in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. It means in Christ. Don't regard anyone according to their education, their skin color, their ethnicity, their political views, or their financial situation. Okay, now that is very clear as we're going to see all through the Scriptures. And so then, why have Christians over the years so struggled with divisiveness and division in regarding people in a categorical point of view? And I think one of the answers is this. Believers have allowed the world, not the Savior, not the Scripture, to define how we see and judge other people. So in other words, there is a soft belief in many churches that yes, Jesus did enough to tear down the wall between God and me. We're one. But he hasn't done enough to tear down the wall between me and my neighbor who doesn't look like me. The cross made me one with Christ, made you one with Christ, but also one with your brother or your sister who has a different skin color. Or the Christian who has a different political sign in the yard. Or the believing woman who sits on the front row of the church with four kids from four different dads. Christ does not allow us to pick and choose who we will be one with. If they have the Spirit by faith in Christ, then we are one in faith, one in family, one in spirit, one in baptism with them. So here's the main idea today. The church must be diverse without divisions. The church is called to be diverse. All those things I've just talked about, yet without divisions. And that's the power of Christ, isn't it, to do that? Now I have three warnings from the New Testament. There's tons of them, but three about divisions and how they destroy the church we're going to look at. First is this. If you're taking notes, divisions destroy gospel ministry. Divisions destroy gospel ministry. I'm going to ask you then to turn to John 17. John 17, your Bible's with me. We've just read 1 Corinthians 1.10. We're going to talk about that, unpack that, and then we're going to look at John 17. So turning your Bibles and just give me a hand signal when you're there. Well, I don't have my glasses on. I can't see your hand signal. But, so maybe just scream at me or something. Okay, you there? I do see a hand. It's not that blurry. All right. Here we go. Let me read John 17, somewhere around 22 to 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Notice this. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved them. So, what does Christian unity in the church need to look like? Well, I'm going to come to John 17. I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians 1, Paul's appeal. He says this, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's appeal for unity rests solely on their faith in Christ. In other words, that means that before they're anything else, they're followers of Jesus. Their primary identity is Jesus. So before you are Greek and Jew, 
male and female, before you are Republican or Democrat or black or Hispanic, you are identified with Christ. The name of Christ on you stands over all other parties or groups that you are affiliated with. Now this is incredibly important because in the same way Paul appealed to you in the name of Jesus, the world is also always appealing to you on many different fronts. They appeal to you as Republicans, do this. As Democrats, do this. I appeal to you as a woman, do this. I appeal to you as a true Presbyterian, do this. Okay, Rusty, so what kind of unity? Does that mean that all of our children have to go to Providence or a public school? Is that the unity he's talking about? Verse 10, John, or uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Let me come back to that. That all of you agree with one another that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Notice that word agree means the word there has to do with your voice, right? Your message. So it's saying that, that you have the same message. All the church has one voice. Don't be divided because you follow Apollos or Paul or Peter. Okay, now he spells that out a little bit in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 13. Let me read that. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? <laughs> no. And the point is, no one else was crucified for you. You are not baptized in anyone else's name. Therefore, be one in message and mind, and that is gospel-minded. Okay? So what's lost, Rusty? What's, what's wrong with all the people that make below a certain income, go to this church, and people who make above? They just kind of gravitate. You know, we feel more comfortable together. What about people that have higher degrees? You know, we, we, we have a little different verbiage, and so we want to go to the church here, and we'll let those who, who are just blue-collar workers, they'll go to church there. And what's wrong with that? John 17, verse 21. So that the world may know that you sent me. Listen. When the world sees God's people holding to Christ by faith and each other by brotherly love, it is a testimony to the truthfulness that Jesus is the Son of God. That truly we are born again. That we have a new nature. That the Spirit is in us. Now flip that. When God's people are divisive, it makes the world question, is Christianity really true? Because they're divided just like we are. They look just like us. You see, the non-Christian says, if they cannot love each other, then the faith they profess seems powerless. There's nothing about them that's new except for their verbiage. They don't have one spirit. Therefore, Jesus must not be who he says he is. Harmony and love in the church draws people to faith. Division tells them that Christ is not who he said he was. Now, this is very practical. In, an Indian politician by the name of B.R. Amdekar, 
who helped frame the Indian Constitution was the leader of a group of untouchables, which is the lowest of the Hindu caste system, the people who sweep the streets and clean out the toilets. And so he wanted to leave Hinduism because of the caste system. And so he considered becoming a Christian. And he found as he investigated Christianity, as he said in his own words, Christians perpetuate the same system. Because when he looked at the church, he saw it divided. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, dark skin and white skin. So he and thousands of his people rejected the message of Christ and became Buddhist. And Jesus' words in John 17 become alive. Let them be one so the world may know that you sent me. My friends, brothers, sisters, the church's unity, it either shows the greatness of Christ and what he has done in our hearts so that people are amazed at the love, the forgiveness, the acceptance, the encouragement that they have in the church, regardless of where they come from. Or it shows the world a Savior who has not even changed his own followers, much less has the power to change them. And so let me ask you, is Christ supreme in your life, not just over your salvation, over the divisions the world has put up? Divisions based upon education, race, ethnicity, Wealth, unity and oneness were lost in the fall between God and man, man and man, and man and creation. And God's sole plan to restore all of that is Christ. And therefore, the church is to be a picture of what's to come in heaven. Unity, oneness in Christ. Let's go to point two. Point two, division destroys God's glory in the church. It destroys the gospel message. Second, it destroys glory. Romans 15, you'll turn there in your Bibles with me. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. And just give me a hand signal when you're there. Okay, great. You there? Let me read that. Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grants you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that word harmony. This is his prayer for the church. He's praying. No division, harmony. And notice he says in accordance with Jesus Christ. What is in accordance with Christ? Harmony. In other words, Paul's saying Jesus' heart for the church, harmony and unity. Now, I want to bring you back to one other thing here, which is, I think, incredible. Notice the first words. May the God of endurance and encouragement. You see that? And you read that, you say, why is that there? Why does he put the God of endurance and encouragement, harmony? How does God having endurance and encouragement Encourage me to live without divisions as one. And the answer is just this. Endurance. In the Greek, it literally means 
he is long-suffering with our failings and our sin. Long-suffering. He never casts us overboard. He never says, I'm done with you. He continues his work. He continues his work with us. He never gives us up on us. And the second word there is encouragement, which is connected to the word. He continues regardless to encourage us with the truths of the scripture wherever we are in life and in situation and in trial. Endurance and encouragement, let them motivate you to harmony. Why? Well, it's just this. The church, you and me, who has received so much grace in God's endurance with me and with you, so much continued encouragement from His Word and the Spirit, now is called to live in harmony as one And he prays that we would do that so that the world would see his harmony in the harmony of the believers. In other words, he's saying God has given you incredible grace endured with you. Now can't you do that with other believers? Won't you live in harmony? Won't you reflect his glory, how he's treated you? Now, what happens if we don't? Go on there with me in your Bible. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that Jesus says in John 17. Lord, let them be one that they may see and believe my message is true. I really am who you say I am. I am the Son of God. And Paul says... If the church does not live in harmony, in oneness, in unity, the glory of God is not seen. In other words, the power of God to unite broken people as one is not seen. Unless we are living in harmony and unity as one. In a Peanuts cartoon, you know Lucy? Everybody know Lucy? She demanded that Linus, her brother, change the TV channel. And then she threatened him with his fist, with her fist. And he says to her, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? Lucy says, well, these five fingers do. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them up together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus says, well, which channel do you want? (laughs) He then looks at his own fingers and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? (laughs) You see, when the body of Christ is unified, it is an incredible thing for the world to behold. It's people treat each other not as they deserve or not as culture does, but as Christ treats them. Now, how does that happen? Let's go to our third. Last point. Division destroys God's presence. What's at stake? If you'll turn in your Bibles with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 11. 13 11. And we'll finish here.
Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. At the end of Paul's letter to the church that he loves so much, he exhorts them again towards harmony and unity with words like restoration, comfort one another, agree, live in peace. But notice, he says, if the church is living in unity, there is an amazing blessing. Look there at the Bible. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Catch this. When the church is united, is one, covering over sins, regardless of people's education, skin color, ethnicity, educational background, they experience God's presence. That's what this says. But therefore, then the opposite must be true. When we are fighting, living divisively and selfishly, living according to the dimensions of the world, too prideful to repent, we are deprived from the blessings of rich communion with God. So in unity and oneness, God will be with the church. His Spirit will be here. In division and pride, He will not. I think that's amazing. God's saying, as you live as one, just like I've told you, by the Spirit's power, doing exactly what Christ tells you to do, I'll be there. In fact, I will give you the ability to do that. But when you don't, when you divide up like the world says to, when you don't forgive, when you don't show grace like I show you, I won't be with you. My spirit won't be there. And it's the difference between being melted together and being frozen together. We're melted together by the love of Christ in unity regardless They're frozen together under lots of other things, but not the presence of Christ and the love of the Spirit. Father, I praise you and I worship you. We worship you. God, I pray here at First Pres. thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for your work in our midst. I pray, God, that there would be no divisions. That, Lord, whoever comes to the door, whether it's a mom with four kids from four different dads, whether it's someone who comes from an extremely wealthy background, whether it's someone who comes from an impoverished background, they have no shoes. Regardless of ethnicity and background, Father, I pray that in Christ, all those who profess faith in Christ we would wrap our arms around them in oneness and unity. Lord, and I praise the, the world sees that. They would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Give us that grace, O oh Lord. Give us that ability. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.